you are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Brampton, Ontario. For more information about our church, please visit harvestbrampton.ca. Amen. Let's pray together. God, you rule this universe. You rule the world. You are crowned. You have authority and power. And God, I pray right now that as your word is open, that we would uh, invite you to reign in this place, and uh, specifically that we would invite you to reign in our hearts, in our lives, by your spirit, that, that your ways would be our ways, and that we would go where you would send us, uh, that we would follow where you would lead us, that we would say the things that you would want us to say, to do the things that you would want us to do because you rule and you reign. You have all majesty and authority. And so be with us now, Lord. Be with me as your word is opened, as my mouth is opened. I pray, God, that, uh, that what happens now would be, uh, would be up, uplifting, edifying to the believers who are gathered uh, in your name, Lord, that it would be both comforting and challenging that we would leave here transformed by your living and active word. We pray that you would do this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, please be seated. And uh, if there's a Bible in your hand, open it up to Psalm 37. If there isn't a Bible in your hand, just put your hand up nice and high. Our ushers are coming up and down the aisle. Things will make a lot more sense if you're able to follow along. If you don't own a Bible or have a copy of God's Word in an updated contemporary English translation, this is our a gift to you. You can take it home and uh, read it yourself. So let's make sure everyone has a chance to follow along in God's Word uh, this morning. Psalm 37 of uh, verse 1 begins by saying, Fret not yourself, because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers. It also indicates here that it's a psalm of uh, David. Now this a psalm here is uh, a unique psalm. When we think about psalms in the Bible, it's normally the psalmist talking to God. I worship you God, thank you God, or even sometimes help me God, save me God. Most of the time it's it's the person writing the psalm is writing the psalm to God. It's a song uh, just like the songs that we sang. It, 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 it goes upward towards God. Um, but Psalm 37 is a different kind of a psalm. It's called a wisdom psalm. It's, it's not written specifically to God. It's written to us. The intended audience of Psalm 37 is, is not God. It is His people. And in Psalm 37, verse 1, this is the message. We've got our work cut out for us today. There's 40 verses in Psalm 37. But 39 of those verses are all helping us understand what this first verse says. Psalm 37, verse 1 says, Fret not because of evildoers, and be not envious of wrongdoers. This is actually word for word just about from Proverbs chapter 24, verse 19. This whole psalm is actually, if you're familiar with reading the Bible, it's going to feel a little bit like the book of Proverbs. And there's this, there's this command, don't fret and don't envy. When you see evil in the world, far away or up close, it first of all says don't fret. That means don't don't get hot. It literally means don't allow yourself 
to warm up. Don't get hot. Don't get angry in the face of evil. But it also says, don't envy when we see evil. And this whole psalm is going to be answering this question. Why are we vulnerable to anger and envy? Oh, this, is, this psalm is written, it's intended for people who believe in God. People who are trying to follow God, why is it that even if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, even if you believe in God, even if you believe that he has saved you and he is with you and that he loves you, why is it that all of us at certain times get angry in the face of evil and, and even more importantly, why is it that sometimes we envy evil? See, it's easy to talk about um, getting angry at evil, whether we see something on, on CNN and we see something that some horrible dictator is doing around the world or whether we see someone right up close in our family or our workplace harming or hurting someone else. We get angry at sin because it's so utterly selfish. The person is only thinking about themselves and because of that, they're harming and they're hurting the people around them. It, it stirs up anger. But have you recognized that sometimes when you see evil, maybe not that form of evil, maybe not CNN evil, but maybe TMZ evil? Maybe not workplace bullying, but maybe workplace gossiping? Why is it that we sometimes see evil and we feel a little tiny bit, or maybe a lot, of envy? How come I can't do that? When you hear someone talk about how they spent their, their weekend and the substances they allowed to come into their body and the people they invited into their bedroom and the, the, the raunchy sort of language that they used to, to describe their lifestyle, is there ever just a, a hint of, wow, they seem so free. It seems like they can just do whatever, whatever they want. You see, it's the selfishness of sin that makes us get angry at sin, but it's also the selfishness of sin that makes us envy sin. Because it's so selfish, and so often we are selfish ourselves. So I don't know about you, but I'm thankful for Psalm 37. I'm thankful that God loves us enough, he knows us well enough to know that sometimes we look at the sin that's happening on, on TV or the sin that's happening right in front of us and that it angers us or sometimes it even causes us to, to envy and say, why can't I do that? They seem to be getting away with it. And God loves us enough to address that. I, I love the honesty of Psalm 37. You know, the the mirror of Psalm 37, Psalm 73, is a, deals with the exact same topic. It's even more personal. The psalmist says, I really struggled when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. It seemed like, it seemed like the nice guys are, are finishing last. And he was envious. But today we're in Psalm 37, and the whole psalm now is going to address that issue. It's going to help us follow the command. Don't fret. Don't get angry. Don't be envious. A couple of other things about, um, about the psalm that would be helpful for you to know. that it, This is actually in the original Hebrew. It's an acrostic poem. 
Do you remember writing those kind of poems when you were a kid? You would sort of put uh, A, B, C, D down the margin, and then the first line of each stanza had to begin with that letter. That's, that's what we're dealing with here. So you can see out of the 40 verses, they're in groupings of two. And, and for each grouping of two, it's a new letter of the Hebrew uh, alphabet. So it's kind of hard to structure, but... But I believe that as we look at this issue of anger and envy in response to evil, we're going to follow a thread. I think we're going to see four things that God wants to show us about ourselves that we need to learn about ourselves in order to combat the, particularly the envy and the anger that we come across when we face sin. Verse 2 gives a, a bit of a hint of the overall theme of the psalm. It says, For they will soon fade like grass and wither like the green herb. We, we've, we saw that happen right before our eyes this year, didn't we? May and June happened. Everyone's out watering their grass and mowing their lawn and fertilizing and getting it all green. And then it just got so hot this year. And everyone's grass was just brown. It would seem so lush. It seemed so strong. I mourn when I pull into my driveway and I see my lawn. Because it, it used to flourish and it has just dried up. And that's what the psalmist here says. Don't envy the wicked. Don't get angry with the wicked. Listen, they're here today. They're gone tomorrow. And in verse 3 it says, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Verse 4, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Here's the first reason why we're vulnerable to anger and to envy is because of the way that we think about desire is too shallow. The way that we think about desire is too shallow. Psalm 37 verse 4 is one of the most beloved um, verses in the Old Testament. It's also one of the most misquoted verses in the Old Testament. Delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. As though you can somehow use God as a means to an end. If you delight in God, then he'll give you what you want. You delight yourself in the Lord, you want a Ferrari, you get a Ferrari. Delight yourself in the Lord, you want a million dollars, you get a million dollars. That is not what this verse is about. You see, it's getting at the desires of your heart. Not surface desires. Because we need to understand that we have a lot of different desires that come in and out of our mind, that come from our flesh on a daily basis. We sometimes have desires to get vengeance against someone. We sometimes have, have desires to, to, uh, to sin in certain ways. Does that mean that if you delight yourself in the Lord that you're going to get those desires fulfilled? That's not what it's talking about. You see, our understanding of desire is far too shallow. Do you desire more money? Uh, we live in a world that's just consumed with the idea of accumulating wealth. That is, a, that is a surface desire. The desire for money above the surface seems like that's all you want. All they need is more money. But why do you want more money? You want more money because if you think, you think if I had more money, I would feel more secure. Isn't that right? If there seems to be more month left at the end of the money... And, and you're not able to pay your bills, you feel insecure. You feel like your house could be taken from. You feel like the lights could go off. You feel like you, you wouldn't have food to feed your family. There's a sense of insecurity that comes when you don't have enough money. So you want more money because of 
it helps you feel secure. If you get into a problem, you'll be able to spend your way out of it. Why else do we want money? Well, we want money to buy things that will make us feel good. We want money to be able to uh, buy uh, houses and, and vehicles and, and, and go on vacations that would, that would make us feel good. We want pleasure. We want the pleasure that money would give to us. No one longs for just money itself. It's not the number in the bank account, but it's the ability to feel secure. It's the ability to experience pleasure. It's also the ability to get the approval of other people. One of the reasons why we want the house and we want the car is we want people to see, we want people to see us driving that car pulling into the driveway of that house, wearing those clothes. We want status symbols. We long for the approval. And so money, that's just a shallow desire. Beneath the surface is a desire for security, is a desire for pleasure, and is a desire for approval. You see, desires work kind of like an iceberg. So uh, take a look at this. So you're, you're riding on a boat through the ocean. You come across this massive iceberg. It's like an island. It's so huge. And you think, that is so big. That's like the desire to have more money. Delight yourself in the Lord. He'll give you the desires of your heart. Listen, your heart does not truly desire money. Your heart truly desires security, pleasure, and approval. That's what your heart is really after. And so beneath the surface, even though the iceberg seems so big, there is this massive part that you can't even see. There's more going on beneath the surface. It's true about money. It's true about relationships. Again, why do we pursue? Why are we often so willing to compromise on our Christian values in order to befriend that person or try to date that person or even marry that person? Why? Because we feel like if we're in a stable relationship, we will have security. There's a, a certain sense of, I'm safe. I know that I belong. And of course, with relationships, there's, a, there's an amount of pleasure. There is, there is joy in just relating to one another. And then there's the physical relationship as well. The reason why you want to be in a relationship is because you want to experience pleasure. And then thirdly, you want approval. You want someone to look into your eyes and say that I love you, I care about you, I value you. You want everyone else to see your status on F Facebook to finally stop saying single. And you want all of those people to look on you with approval. Oh, you finally found someone. We're all looking for those three deep desires. They are the desires that are in our hearts. But listen, if you try to fulfill those desires with money, to try to find your security, your sense of approval, and your sense of pleasure through money, you will end up finding yourself empty. If you think that a human relationship or human relationships will make you feel secure and find approval and, and, and find pleasure, you will find yourself empty. Psalm 34 verse 4 says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Not just the surface desires, but only God can give you the security that you are looking for. That the king and creator of the universe is holding you in his hands. How about that for security? How about, how about pleasure? When you are truly living for God, I'm telling you, Mozart sounds better, food tastes better, 
Physical intimacy is taken to a new level. When you are living for God, even the small things are filled with pleasure. Doesn't just mean that God gives you pleasure, you delight yourself in the Lord. It doesn't mean it's just when you're reading your Bible and doing devotions or when you're at church worshiping. It goes with you. That sense of pleasure and delight goes with you everywhere. Only God can give you security. Only God can give you pleasure. And only God can give you that sense of approval that you are looking for. To have God, as you're found in Christ, to have God look on you and say, this is my beloved daughter. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. To one day hear the voice of God say, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what all of us are longing for. And that is the desire of every human being's heart. And God designed every human heart. But all of our hearts are broken because we've all turned away from God. And we've gone after the surface things and tried to have those surface things fill our hearts. But it doesn't work. But God loves us enough to change our hearts to reorient our desires and to get beyond the surface and to go to a deeper level. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart, what every human being is longing for, security, approval, and pleasure. And then he goes on, just now there's a whole bunch of commands, a whole bunch of instructions. It says, commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. It takes time to go deep. It's easy to hit the surface, but we need to be still. We live in a world that is moving at a frantic pace, pursuing after money, pursuing after pleasure, pursuing after relationships, pursuing all of this stuff. But the believer is called upon to be still and to wait for the Lord, to go to that deeper level. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Verse 8, refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it tends only to evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. That contrast between evil being cut off and the righteous inheriting the land, pay attention to that. That's a theme that you're going to find all throughout the psalm, dealing with this idea of envy and anger. Here's the next thing God's word tells us about why we're vulnerable to those things. First, or second of all, because of the way we think about sin is too short-sighted. The way we think about sin is too short-sighted. When we find envy welling up inside of us or anger welling up inside of us, chances are we have a failure to see the big picture. And we're looking at the trees, we miss the forest. We're, we're very, very short-sighted. We don't see what ultimately is going to happen. Take a look at verse 10. In just a little while... It might seem like wicked is winning. It might seem like evil is the way to go and that the wicked are prospering. But God's word says, verse 10, in just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. 
this little show that the world and Satan and our flesh is putting on for us, as attractive as it is, as stimulating as it is, as much as it captures our attention and it's glitzy, this little show, it's actually a disappearing act. There's a trap door at the bottom of the stage and the curtain is going to come down very quickly. In just a little while, the things of this world will be passing away. Verse 11, but the meek shall inherit the land. Does that sound familiar to anyone? Jesus said that, quoting Psalm 37 in Matthew 5, in the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, and blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the, uh, Jesus, uh, it, it's translated earth in Matthew 5, shall inherit the land. Those two go together and delight themselves in abundant peace. Verse 12, the, the wicked plots against the righteous. So now, now the righteous person isn't just observing sin far off. It's not some evil dictator. It's not some famous celebrity that they're angry at or envious towards. Now evil is coming right up in their face. They're, they're plotting against them. They're making all of these schemes. They're trying to intimidate them, verse 12, and gnashes their teeth at him. So they're, they're scheming to try to harm the people of God. And they're even trying to intimidate them, gnashing their teeth at them. And then I love this. Verse 13, but the Lord laughs at the wicked because he sees that their day is coming. God's not so, so short-sighted. And so the wicked, they got all these fancy plans. They think they know what they're going to do. They're gnashing their teeth. And God's like, oh, please. This is right there. The Lord laughs. He's laughing because he knows how it's going to end. Verse 14, the, the wicked draw the sword and bend their bows to bring down the poor and needy, to slay those whose way is upright. And so they're, they're ready. They got the sword out. The bow is bent. They're going to try to destroy people who want to follow God. But then check out the poetic justice in verse 15. Their sword shall enter their own heart and their bows shall be broken. The very sword that they're trying to use against the righteous will eventually be turned on them. The best example of this is in the book of Esther. The, the antagonist in the book of Esther is this man named uh, Haman. Uh, Haman was, was a, a despi despicable anti-Semite. He hated the Jewish people. And he also longed for approval but he only sought approval on that surface level of the iceberg. And Haman had this sort of government job, and he thought he was pretty hot stuff. And everywhere Haman went, he insisted that people would kind of bow down before him. And he, he wasn't too pleased when this guy, who was so anti-Semitic, he, he, he wasn't too pleased when Esther, this beautiful young Jewish girl, becomes the queen. So he wasn't very happy about that. He also wasn't very happy when he's accustomed to seeing all these people bow down before him. And then this guy Mordecai, who is Esther's cousin and, and adoptive father. Mordecai is not going to bow down before some human being. He believed in God. And so everyone else is like, oh, Haman. Oh, Haman. And then Mordecai is just like, hey, what's up, Haman? How you doing, man? That drove Haman crazy because he wanted, on the surface, he wanted approval. And so... Haman came up with this plan. He was going to wipe out all of the Jewish people. And he was building 
gallows, which was this huge platform, if, and, and there would be a, a, a rope with a noose at the top of it, and that's where someone would be executed by hanging. And so Haman had this plot, and he was gnashing his teeth, and he was ready to wipe out the people of God, and he was going to take Mordecai and put him up on those gallows and execute him. And you have to read the rest of the story to get all the details, but spoiler alert... Mordecai ends up in the place of honor where Haman was, and Haman ends up on the gallows that he built for Mordecai. Poetic justice. That the evil are trying to harm the righteous, and yet God, in only a way that he could orchestrate things, turns the tables so dramatically. So the way we think about desire is too shallow. The way we think about sin is too short-sighted. Also make note of this, the way we think about wealth is too superficial. The way we think about wealth is too superficial. We've got to focus on those heart desires, not on the surface desire of money. Check, check out verse 16. Better is the little that the righteous has than the abundance of many wicked. It doesn't, it doesn't matter how much you get paid. What matters is how much you know that you're loved by God. That's what's truly valuable. That's where true wealth lies. It's better to have little and to be righteous than to have the abundance of the wicked. Verse 17, for the, the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. Again, don't be short-sighted. Verse 18, the Lord knows the days of the blameless and their heritage will remain forever. They are not put to shame in evil times. In the days of famine, they have abundance. But the wicked will perish. The enemies of the Lord are like the glory of the pastures. They vanish. Like smoke, they vanish away. Again, the, the agricultural image of a drought and it's being so green and then it vanishes. Like the glory of the pasture vanishes. And then like smoke it just, it just disappears and fades away. Verse 21, the wicked borrows and does not pay back, but the righteous is generous and gives. Even though the wicked has abundance, notice how he still feels the need to borrow more. Even though he has so much. We live in the, we live in the most affluent of societies across the world, and yet we're more in debt than the rest of the world. We, have, we already have more, and yet we borrow to get even more. But the righteous, they're not, they're not interested in borrowing to try to, because they're so thankful for what they do have. In fact, their thankfulness, their gratitude actually motivates them to give and to be generous because they know what true wealth is. Verse 22, for those blessed by the Lord shall inherit the land, but those who are cursed, those cursed by him shall be cut off. Verse 23, the steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. Okay, so that's good news. So if I delight my way in the Lord, then I delight in him. I, I get the desires of my heart, and then he also establishes my steps. So that means that every step I take is going to be perfect and smooth, and the way God leads me is right down easy street, and I won't experience any troubles. Well, remember how I said these verses come in pairs? So that's how verse 23 goes, but look at verse 24. Though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong, for the Lord upholds his hand. There's ups and downs. 
There are times in which the follower who's pursuing God with everything that they have and delighting him, there's still times where they're going to stumble and fall, where circumstances are going to cause them to fall, where their own sin is going to cause them to fall. But notice, they won't fall headlong. They're not going to crash and burn. They are going to be upheld by the Lord's hand. I love that. Our youngest son, Boaz, he's just about 13 months now. He's just starting to consider this whole walking thing. And uh, he gets sort of a standing up on his own. He kind of wiggles a little bit and he takes, you know, two or three steps. And then, and then he falls headlong. But if he's walking and he's holding mom's hand or dad's hand, I mean, that kid can fall all he wants. Because then he just sort of dangles and holds on. And that, and that is such a beautiful picture of what it's like walking with God holding on to his hand. He loves us. He is with us. And yes, we may get into some rough terrain. Yes, we may get our eyes off the path and fall ourselves, but God is holding on to our hand like a loving father, and we do not fall headlong. Verse 25, I have been young and now am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. He is ever lending generously, and his children become a blessing. David here is sharing his own experience. The title of the psalm just said that this was a psalm of David. He's most likely writing this at the end of his life. He's saying, I, I was young, and now I am old. And his conclusion is, he's never seen the righteous forsaken, and he's, he's never seen his children begging for bread. Now, some of the teenagers here are looking at me and you think I'm old um, but I still feel very young and so David is looking at the perspective of his whole life and he's he's saying I was young and now I'm old I still feel like I'm on the young side and I just got to be honest with you I wrestled with what David wrote here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit because I'm, I'm, I'm young, and maybe it's just my own lack of wisdom, but listen, I've, I've been to Liberia, Africa. I've been to Haiti in the Caribbean. And I agree with, with what David says, that I have not seen the righteous forsaken. I've sat down and prayed. I've attended church worship services with beautiful, vibrant believers. And they have not been forsaken by the Lord, but there have been long seasons in both of those nations where people have been begging for bread. And maybe I just need to get a little older and maybe I will see in a bigger perspective and maybe I will one day go back to Liberia or back to Haiti and I will see how God has provided. I know one thing for sure is that a lot of the Christians who are in these nations, they aren't sitting around waiting begging for bread. They're out trying to work because that's part of what it means to be faithful here on earth. So I will... I will I will default to David's opinion here because he's older and wiser, and I will also default, of course, to what God's word says. Because Proverbs 30, verse 5 says, Every young and now I'm old, yet I have not seen the righteous true. He says, I'm young, I was young, and now I'm old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. Again, notice the generosity, verse 26. He is ever lending generously. Even if he doesn't have a lot, he's still giving it away. And his children become a blessing. His children are seeing how, how the father and mother are so kind and so generous that the children follow suit. 
So our understanding of desire is too shallow, our understanding of sin is too short-sighted, our understanding of wealth is too superficial. All of that brings us to this point, that our understanding of God is just too small. Closer, far away, sometimes it can become so big. When we look at evil, whether it's up close or far away, sometimes it can become so big. He was in the, and we, we lose sight of the fact that we have a God who is bigger and greater is he that dwells in us than he who is in the world. And we, we need to expand our vision of who God is. Now this is a long conclusion. We're only on verse 27, but it's a long psalm. So verse 27 says, turn away from evil and do good and you shall dwell forever. Notice this, here's a theology lesson. For the Lord loves justice. God isn't just up there ambivalent to what's happening around the world. No, he loves justice and he will bring judgment. It says, he will not forsake his saints. They're preserved forever, but the children of the wicked shall be cut off. Verse 29, the righteous shall inherit the land and dwell upon it forever. Verse 30, the mouth of the righteous utters wisdom and his tongue speaks justice. Verse 31, the law of his God is in his heart and his steps do not slip. Notice the connection between the mouth and the heart. Jesus said out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. This, the psalmist here says that the righteous person utters wisdom. If you spend enough time around people who are going after surface desires, who are going after the top of the iceberg, pursuing money, pursuing pleasure, pursuing all of those things, they're eventually going to crash and burn. And they're going to look to a friend. They're going to look to a friend who cares about them and who loves them. And that's going to be you. And you're not, that's not going to be your time to judge them. That's going to be your time to give them wisdom and to share with them God's word about how they can change their lives and turn it around by the power of God's grace. And so it's so important that we know the word and because knowing the word helps us take our small view of God and make it bigger. It helps us open our mouths and say wise things to people who have acted so foolishly. Verse 32, the wicked, the, the wicked watches for the righteous and seeks to put him to death. The Lord will not abandon him to his power or let him be condemned when he is brought to trial. Wait for the Lord and keep his way and he will exalt you to inherit the land. You will look on when the wicked are cut off. I have seen a wicked and ruthless man spreading himself like a green laurel tree. Here's the same idea again, this agricultural metaphor, but he passed away. And behold, he was no more. Though I sought him, he could not be found. He saw the wicked like this weed, this laurel tree that was just growing and spreading and reproducing. It seemed so strong. It seemed so healthy. And then you go back to the same place and it's nowhere to be found. Don't be short-sighted. Verse 37, mark the blameless and behold the upright. For there is a future for the man of peace. He says, hey, you know what? Get your eyes off CNN. Get your eyes off TMZ. Get your eyes on a righteous person because the way that they live their lives, that's gonna last forever. And there is a future for that person. Don't be short-sighted. And then he closes with these huge statements about God. The salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. It's not your own righteousness that saves you. It's not your own good deeds that protects you from evil happening to you in this life and the next. It's the salvation of the Lord. He is the stronghold in their time of trouble. Verse 40, the Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in him. 
So Psalm 37 lays out two paths. There's this way of the righteous who take refuge in God, and there's this way of the wicked who may seem like they're winning now, but there's an end coming. And there's two ways to describe the ultimate destination. The, the one way, it says, leads to they inherit the land. The meek shall inherit the earth. They will inherit the land, inherit the land. That's all over this psalm. In verse 9, verse 11, verse 22, verse 29, verse 34, they will inherit the land. And then that's the way of the, of the righteous. But then there's the way of the wicked. It says they will be cut off again and again. Verse 9, verse 22, verse 28, verse 38. Cut off, cut off, cut off. So there's two options. You walk one way, you inherit the land. You walk another way, you end up being cut off. And that's laid out here in this chart. So if, it's pretty simple. If you live righteously, you get the inheritance, which is the whole earth. But if you live wickedly, you end up being cut off. And so which way are you on? And how, how, how's your life going? Well, as I look at my own life, I know I'm sure not at righteous. And when I look at God's word, it confirms that. Romans 3 says, no one is righteous, no, not one. And Romans 3 also says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And I know for sure for me, and it, maybe this is news to you, we all find ourselves in the wicked category. And that means that what we get is cut off. And I know we've been talking a lot about sin on TV, but what about sin in our own hearts? Because the truth is, all of us have done wicked. And all of us deserve to be cut off. There's only one person ever who walked this earth who was totally righteous. His name was Jesus Christ. And he was God in the flesh. And he's the son of God. Of course the inheritance belongs to him. Because the inheritance goes to the son. The father gives his inheritance to his son, right? So the inheritance belongs to the righteous. It's Jesus. The meek shall inherit the earth. We're not meek. Jesus was the only one who was meek. He had all the power. And yet he, he kept that power under control. He even allowed himself to be crucified and killed. In fact... Jesus was the only one who was righteous, but he's the one who got cut off. Why did he get cut off? He got cut off because on the cross, he suffered and died. He paid the penalty that all of us deserve for our wickedness. But not only that, because he was cut off, we became righteous. His righteousness was accounted to us, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says. And because Jesus the righteous one came and because he was cut off, here's the amazing news. We now get the inheritance that we are now called sons and daughters of God and we actually become the meek who will inherit the has done. Not because of anything that we've done, but because of everything that Christ has done. And the only way to get off of the path that leads to being cut off and getting on to the path that leads to inheritance is to place your faith in Jesus Christ. And then you delight yourself in the Lord. And he gives you the desires of your heart. Everything you've been longing for is available to you. You can make that decision today. Admit that you're a sinner. Believe that Jesus died on the cross. And commit to follow him. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father God, we thank you for these amazing truths and we thank you for the reality of the gospel and who Jesus is and what he has done. We thank you that he was cut off 
in order that we could be counted righteous, in order that we could receive the inheritance that only he deserved. He lived the life that we couldn't live and died the death that we deserved to die. And so we thank you so much, O oh God. And God, we confess and admit that even for those of us who know those things and believe those things and delight in those things, sometimes, God, we all look at the ways of this world and we feel envy. And God, I pray that you would lovingly reorient us, that you would use your word, that you would use your spirit, that you would use the community here within the church, the brothers and sisters who love one another to point us directly to who you are and to what you've done, that we'd be reminded of the gospel, the true meaning of wealth, and that we would look at sin not in a short-sighted way, but to see things long-term, Lord God. And that our vision of you would not be small, but that it would get bigger and bigger and bigger. So God, we love you. We thank you. We, we pray, Lord God, that you would foster a, a heart of gratitude, a heart of contentment, a heart of joy and, de and delight as we delight ourselves in you and you give us the desires of our heart. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This has been an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Brampton, Ontario. For more information about our church or to contact us, please visit harvestbrampton.ca.